fake news. It's a phrase that's become commonplace in our vernacular in the past few years. As our culture has become increasingly polarized, so have the news outlets. Uh, Where one media source will claim one thing, another will claim a differing opinion. And then people on both sides of the news media start shouting at each other, yelling and exclaiming that the other is promoting fake news. And then you even have people like on YouTube or Facebook who are then promoting the real news, but then you're not sure if that's fake news. Fake news. It's, it's, it's a thing. Who's right? What source should you believe? Where should you turn to be rightly informed? These are the questions and the tensions that uh, we've felt through the COVID years. I don't know if we're still in the COVID years. I don't, however that's defined. It's what we've felt the past few years. And not only that, I think these questions, right? Who should you believe? What source should you turn to for truth? Um, these questions can be applied to all of life, right? They can be applied to the real, big, worldview questions that every person asks and seeks in some way, shape, or form to answer. Uh, why am I here? Where am I going? What happens when I die? What's wrong with this world? Is there any hope? These are big questions, foundational questions. And the question to those questions that we should be asking is, well, not only how do we answer those questions, but how do you know that you're not listening to fake news to answer such questions? Where should you turn to for the real answers, to know the truth? To make it more personal, if you claim to be a Christian this morning, uh, what is your guide for the right information on the most important questions through this life? And this is in part what Peter begins to address uh, as we pick back up in our sermon series through the book of Second Peter. Remember, Peter is writing to believers in Asia Minor uh, because heretical teachers have risen up within their churches. And these teachers claimed that Jesus was not coming back. There would be no final judgment. And so you could basically be a Christian, or claim to be a Christian, and live kind of however you want. It doesn't really matter how you live. And so in today's text, in order to start combating this fake news from these fake false teachers, Peter first, before he can even address what they're, start to credibly address what they're talking about and shut it down, Peter first has to establish himself and ultimately God's word as a credible news source. They have to believe that Peter isn't disseminating false, fake news. And so the big idea for this morning, which will be on the screen, is pay attention to God's word. Pay attention to God's word. And we have three reasons why in our text. Because it's a reminder, it is a lamp, and it is from God. So we're going to go through each one of those one by one, but the, but the big idea that, that it's all pointing to is really pay attention to God's word. So we're going to start out in chapter 1, verse 12. 
It says this, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, that you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as, as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to, at any time, recall these things. So if you were here four weeks ago, a month ago, when we started this series in First Peter, you'll remember that Peter, in the first 11 verses of, this, of his second letter, um, he's, he, he just got done encouraging the believers that he's writing to to lead godly lives. Um, he told them that they can do this because not only has God saved them and empowered them, but um, God is, is actively for them in this life. He's, he set them up for success. And one day, this ultimately points to their future hope that God is going to bring them into his eternal kingdom. And so now Peter starts off in verse 12 saying, therefore, so he's pointing back to what he just said, but he's also, as we'll see, he's pointing forward to the rest of the letter. Really here, he's going to give us his purpose statement for why he wrote this letter. So Peter basically says, and I'm just going to summarize these few verses that we just read, verses 12 to 15. He says, look, uh, even though you know all that stuff that I just told you about, as you see in verse 12, it says, you are established in the truth that you have. Even though you know all this stuff that I was just talking about and the stuff that I'm going to talk about, I want to always remind you of these things. In fact, as long as I'm alive, I want to stir you up, that's verse 13, by reminding you of the truths of the gospel. Because I'm going to die soon. So the Lord Jesus told me. Oh, and by the way, verse 15, uh, that's why I'm writing this to you. So you can reread this at any time and remember these things that I've told you. How does Peter make sure that even after he dies, these believers that he's writing to and he's pastorally caring for, how does he make sure that they still have a way to remember the truth as fake news comes their way? And, is, and the answer that we see here is Peter gives them a tangible reminder in the form of a letter. He writes them a letter. And the amazing thing about a letter is you can read it. And you can reread it. It's something that, it's actually a tangible reminder. It's not just that, oh, remember that thing that Peter said years ago when he was talking to us? No, like we actually have a physical letter from him. And what we see here. Peter talks about reminding these believers. Now, he said that these believers, they're established in the truth that they have. Like, they know their Bibles well. And what we see is that Christians, and even Christians who know their Bibles well and hold the good doctrine, need to be consistently and frequently reminded of the realities of God's good news. That's what Peter's saying. I always want to remind you. In fact, it's my duty while I'm here And guess what? I'm writing you letters that you can always be reminded. According to Peter, the way we are reminded of the truths of the gospel, of God's good news, is through the written word of God. It's kind of a no-brainer, right? Something that's written, you can read and reread and reread over and over again. But the fact that God's word has come to us and was coming to these believers in written form. 
it acts as a tangible way that we can remember the truths of God. It's something that we can turn to, we can actually physically read with our eyes, understand with our brains, and apply to our hearts in order to remember and relearn over and over again the realities of the gospel. But the question is, so Peter said, listen, I'm writing to you to remind you, and I'm writing to you because it's just going to, what I'm writing to you is going to act as this monument, as this, my last will and testament that you have. You can reread it. You can look to it. I want to remind you. The question is, though, why does Peter think that they need reminders all the time? Why does he say, I always want to remind you of the truth of God? And, that's, and we see this in verse 13. It says, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Why do we need reminders as Christians? Peter says it's because we need to be stirred up. Peter says it's because we need to be stirred up. The, the, the word here means, it means to, to wake somebody up. One author said, Peter hoped that his words would stab believers awake so they would reject the false teaching and prize the gospel afresh. That's the imagery here. And any one of us who has walked with Jesus for a while knows how easy it can be to grow apathetic towards the realities of the gospel. To the realities of God's love. The depth, like we easily forget the depth of God's love. We emotionally grow distant from that truth. We can easily forget the power that God has given us to live and lead a godly life. We can easily forget as we read newsreels and, and, and hear of threats of atomic war, of nuclear war that we actually have hope that Jesus will return and establish his kingdom once and for all. We also know, for those of us who have walked with Jesus for a while, how one worship song One sermon, one scripture verse, one conversation with a brother or sister can stir us up. It can awaken us. It can stab us awake to the realities of the gospel. It can remind our hearts and our minds and stir us up to to, to relearn and see afresh the depth of God's love and the hope that we have in the gospel. I think sometimes when we're faced with trials or temptations or we're faced with fears and doubts, it can be a very powerful thing not only to remember a summary of what we believe, but to actually open our Bibles and read what it says. So for example, if, if you've ever struggled to, to believe and to hold on to the truth that in face of your sin and the ways that we mess up, even as believers, if it's hard, if it's ever been hard for you in that moment to hold to the fact that God forgives you, maybe you're repeating that truth to yourself. The Bible says God forgives me. But how, how much more powerful is that? Now that is true, and that is derived from God's word. But how powerful can it be to open up, say, to the book of Colossians and read this? It says this in Colossians chapter 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that's Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses 
How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's powerful. In a moment when you're doubting God's forgiveness and acceptance of you, in light of your own sin and failures, to to open up that and go, but he has forgiven me all my trespasses. That's a powerful reality. Or even when we enter in here on a Sunday morning, most Sundays I'm I'm, I'm leading music. um, And there are some Sunday mornings, I will be honest with you, my heart is not as stirred as I want it to be. But as soon as we start singing truths from God, from his word, and I see you singing, it stirs my heart. As I hear you singing God's truths back to me, and I hope the, the, the same is true for you, as you hear me or and each other singing the, God's truth, it should stir you up. God's word reminds us of God's truth. And this is why we, as the chapel church, seek to be a word-centered church. This is partly why we gather each week and every element of our service is based on God's word. We see the word as we practice the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We hear the word as it's preached and read. We sing the word as we gather and we sing truths from God's word. We pray the word. We want all of our prayers to be in line with and remind us of the truths of God's word. Growing up in church, and maybe some of you youth here today have thought this very thing. I, uh, I thought going to church was super repetitive and super boring. Another Sunday, another church service, another chance for me to, when I was six, color in my coloring book. And the only reason I went is because my parents made me go. That was the only reason I went. And it seemed so repetitive and so monotonous and so boring What is the point? But now as a believer, I I get it. Repetition reinforces. And I need, and we all need, to be gathering with God's people as often as we are able to, so that we can sit under the ministry of his word to be continually stirred up. And with that in mind, you can see how having a, for a Christian to claim to have a sort of been there, done that mindset, like, you know, I've, I've been at church a lot. I've heard a lot of sermons. I've read the Bible. I, whatever. Like, I don't really have to go gather with God's people. I don't really need to care. You can easily see how that's just, arrogance. It's to think way too highly of yourself that you don't need to be stirred up. And it's to think way too lowly of God's word. Brothers and sisters, to love the gathering of God's people, to establish deep friendships and accountability with others in the church, to minister God's word to one another, to sing it out with all of our might, to develop personal Bible reading habits, 
All of that is for your good, my good. It's for our good and our spiritual well-being. Because we need to be stirred up. We need to be continually and frequently reminded of God's truth. So Peter reminds them, or he's just stating for the first time in his letter, why he's writing this to them. And through writing this letter, Peter is giving these believers a lasting reminder of God's truth. The question then becomes, okay, cool. Um, So why should we listen to Peter's message over the false teacher's message? Why should we listen to you, Peter, and not the false teachers? Like, who's got the fake news? Who's got the real news? And this is what Peter starts to answer uh, as we move on. In verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Remember, the fake news from the false teachers, what they were promoting is the idea that Jesus is not coming back, which really points to the reality that, well, Jesus' kingdom is not coming. It will not be established. There is no final judgment. Basically, things are just going to keep going on as they always have been. And the problem with this is that this fundamentally undermines the Christian's hope and apostolic teaching, like that of Peter's. So Peter claims that he, he says, look, he says, for we, when he says for for we, he's not pointing just to himself, but he's pointing to the other apostles and, and their teaching. So Peter claims that he and the other apostles, what they taught about what does it say in the middle of verse 16? The power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's talking about the realities of the gospel and our future hope that Jesus will come back. Peter's saying what, what we, the apostles, have taught traditionally about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, about his second coming, it's not fake news. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. Rather, it was based on and proven by our own eyewitness testimony. And so he tells us what this eyewitness testimony was that somehow proves that Jesus is coming back. Let's continue, verse 17. He says, For when he, that's Jesus, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him On the holy mountain. Here, Peter is referring to an event recorded in the gospel accounts called the Transfiguration. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, three of the apostles, up on a mountain. He was transfigured before them, shining gloriously. And then God the Father speaks from heaven, confirming Jesus' identity. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Peter reminds us multiple times in verses 16 and then in 18. He says, we, we were eyewitnesses. Like we ourselves heard. We were with him. We were there. So what does this have to do with Jesus' second coming? What, what does this have to do in proving that Peter's news is not fake news? Well, he says it in verse 19. He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. This prophetic word is referring to the Old Testament scriptures. It's the prophecies in the Old Testament that spoke about the fact that God would one day judge the world and establish his eternal kingdom with his people forever. 
What Peter is saying is that the transfiguration of Jesus, which Peter and the apostles witnessed with their own eyes, they could touch Jesus like they were there. What the transfiguration of Jesus confirms is what was written in the Old Testament. And it also functions as a foretaste of the glorious second coming of Jesus. It's, it's like the transfiguration is pointing back to the Old Testament, all these promises that God said he's going to come and judge the world and establish his kingdom. But it's also pointing forward saying, this is a foretaste of what's, what's going to come when Jesus comes back. It's like the trailer to the movie, right? This is, you watch a movie trailer and it's like a foretaste, but then it's not actually the whole movie. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is, especially like the old 90s trailers. They just tell you the whole movie in the trailer. But nowadays, it's, it's supposed to wet your taste buds. So you actually, like, I'm looking forward to the, to the movie. So Peter's saying, the transfiguration, it's the trailer to the movie. Like, it's confirming what the Old Testament has talked about and the fact that Jesus will return. It's like a guarantee that he's coming back. So to answer our question... Why should what Peter teaches be believed over the false teachers? Well, it's because Peter has both eyewitness testimony and the Old Testament on his side. It's the false teachers who are teaching myths. They're the ones teaching fairy tales. They're the ones spreading and disseminating fake news. And this is why Peter says in the second half of verse 19, he continues speaking about the the prophetic word or the Old Testament. He says, talking about the Old Testament, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. For these believers in the midst of of the darkness of this world, made darker by false teaching, Peter saying God's word, the Old Testament scriptures upon which his teaching is based, God's word is a lamp in the darkness. It's a light in the darkness. It's, it's, it's a light to believers in the midst of this life and in the midst of all the noise that comes at us. So this is true not only for these believers that he's writing to, but then by inference also for us. And as a light, God's word guides us. Have you ever, um, has the power ever gone out at your house and you can't find a flashlight? You need light to guide you. Light guides us through the dark. This past week, I took my kids to the dollar store or the dollar 25 store now. That was the first mistake. Took them to the dollar 25 store. And, um, one of my kids wanted a recorder. You know what a recorder is? It's the like flute that you hold like a clarinet and it's made out of plastic. It kind of looks like what a snake charmer would use. Yeah? Okay. So one of my kids wanted a recorder and I made a second mistake. I bought a recorder for one of my kids. Uh, now this is not a knock on one of my kids. I, I love my kids very dearly. I will defend them to the death. But the recorder sounds horrible. Uh, like, and especially because it was bought at the dollar store, 
it doesn't even work. It has holes on it, so you can put your fingers on it and make different notes. One of my kids who was playing it, you could put all your fingers on there and the note would not change. Like, this thing stinks. Half the time it sounds like nails on a chalkboard. So imagine um, that this is the only music that I've ever heard in my life. It's the only music I've ever heard. Is my kid playing a recorder from the dollar store. Dollar 25 store. And now imagine that after hearing only that my whole life, I hear a symphony play Beethoven for the first time. What is that experience going to tell me about these sounds that I hear from the recorder? I'm going to go, that's not music. That's not music. That's squeaking. It's not music. After I've heard this, there's no way that anybody could deem that as music. In other words, the symphony gives me light. It guides me. It helps me see correctly what good music is and what shouldn't even be called music. And the point is is that as we live in a world full of all sorts of ideologies, as you go to work, as you interact with family members, as you interact with friends, as you listen to the news, youth and maybe even adults, as you turn on YouTube and you get on TikTok, there are all sorts of wacky ideas out there. We are exposed to all sorts of noise. And what Peter's saying is that we need God's word as a guide. In our church, in our individual lives, in our families, with our kids. We need the symphony of God's word in our headphones so that we're not seduced by the sound of recorders. So God's word is a light. It it, it guides us, but but it also gives us hope. Notice It says that the word is a lamp shining until the morning star arises in our hearts. This is a reference to Jesus' second coming. The the, the picture is you only need a lamp to reveal truth and guide when it's dark, during the night. Once the sun comes up, once it's the morning, you don't need a light anymore. Once Jesus comes back, we'll know him face to face. And the point is, is that as we wait for the light that is Jesus to come, we have the light of God's word to point us to that day and to remind us of it. It stands as a beacon of hope in the midst of the dark storms and trials that we face in this life. That's how God's word functions. And not only guides, but it gives us hope. It reminds us that there's a greater light to come. The morning will come. And this ultimately points to what we believe as Christians about the gospel, right? That God sent his son to die for our sins, to rise from the grave victoriously, to save in order to save sinful human beings who turn to him in faith and repentance. And then that he keeps us. And one of the ways that he keeps us is through his word. Until he comes back. The Christian life is full of hope. And so, it, maybe you're here this morning and you do not 
claim to be a Christian or you are skeptical about what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you're just interested in being a Christian. We, we do make crazy claims as Christians. I am making, standing up here making a wild claim this morning. That God's word is light. And it is the only light in this world. That we as Christians, and according to the Bible, not on our own authority, but according to the authority of the Bible, actually have the, the, the corner of the market on truth. And the call to you this morning, if you do not believe in Jesus, is to turn to him. To come to the light. That you would know the truth and be saved. And that happens as you repent of your sins. You turn from yourself and your sins and you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And then you live a life full of hope, dependent on God's word. Knowing that he will come back to make all things right. So God's word is a light. It guides, it gives us hope. And since God's word is a light, Peter says, pay attention to it. Do all that you can to be in it. Submerge your life in it. So to summarize, Peter and the apostles, like their message, it's legit. It's backed up by the Old Testament. And so what they say, which, where do we have apostolic teaching preserved for us? It's the New Testament. So their message is legit. It's backed up by the Old Testament. And so what they say, what we have in the New Testament, and what the Old Testament says, what the Bible says, should be heeded. We should pay attention to it with all our might. It's what our eyes should be on. It's what our gaze should be on. It should be the foundation of our lives. But in case this isn't enough to prove Peter's point, that, hey, you should listen to us, like those guys, they, they got fake news. Like, we're, we're the real media. We have the truth. In case... This so far hasn't been enough to prove his point. Peter goes one step further as to why his audience and why we should pay attention to God's word. And it's the last point of our sermon. So we've seen that God's, we should pay attention to God's word because it's a reminder, it's a lamp. But it's also from God. This is what we see in verse, verses 20 and 21. Peter continues, he says, Knowing this, first of all, of most importance, know this. That no prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here Peter answers the question, where does Old Testament prophecy found in scripture come from? Which is what our teaching is based on? What's the root of all this? Where's the true source of all this information? Well, it's not that prophecy comes about because somebody reads it, reads what God's word says, or hears somebody talking a word from God and just decides that it's prophecy. That's what he says in verse 20. It's not the result of humans just desiring to produce some sort of prophecy, to produce God's word, verse 21. Rather, the Old Testament prophetic word, and then by inference, Scripture in general, It was produced by men speaking. But it's not just men speaking. They spoke from God as the Holy Spirit carried them along. The Bible, as we have it, 
has a lot of little a authors who spoke and wrote with their own personalities, their own cultural backgrounds, their own languages. But the Bible also has one big, ultimate, big A author, and it's God. Peter's saying that scripture, it's a divine book. It is the ultimate source where it comes from is God himself. So Peter and the apostles' teaching, which we have in the New Testament, is, which is based on what's in the Old Testament, which that's all from God himself. So you can see how Peter is building a case here for credibility. Peter and the apostles, not the false teachers, are on God's side. And God, he's on the apostles' side. This is what you call apostolic street cred. He's setting up his credentials. So why listen to Peter's message and not the false teachers? Why pay attention to scripture? Because it's from God. It's from God. It bears his authority and there is no higher truth. And as it bears God's authority and the the fact that there is no higher truth means that it demands our attention and submission, doesn't it? Peter, in in one sense, is is implicitly calling and reminding the believers here that he's writing to, that they need to submit to apostolic Old Testament teaching. They need to submit scripture because it's from God. And in doing so, reject what these false teachers are promoting. So it demands our attention, demands our submission. It means bringing our lives into line with it. When we're faced with things in God's word that contradict what we see in our own lives, it means saying, I need to change. Maybe it's not just actions, maybe it's also the way that we think, our worldview. It's bringing our lives into submission to God's word. But the fact that God's word also bears, it, it, it not only the, the fact that God's word is from God and it bears his authority also means that it's trustworthy. And this gets into, so again, why should these believers trust what Peter has to say, which is based on the Old Testament scriptures? Well, they should trust it because all that, it's, it's from God. It's trustworthy. Like there's no better news source. There is no higher authority. If you're going to trust anyone, why not trust that? And not these guys who are spreading fairy tales and myths. The fake news camp. And the fact that God's word is trustworthy, doesn't that then just bolster our confidence in everything that we've said so far? Like, like So it's not just that God's word is some book that Christians have decided is divine and it reminds us about some fairy tale-like truths. God's word is God himself through his word teaching us, reminding us, stabbing us awake in love to the realities of his truth in the gospel every single time that we open it. It's not just that we have one light among others to guide us in this world, right? But like, you know, there's other lights that'll do just fine. God's word is the one true light to guide us and to lead us into truth. Or when doubts come flooding into our lives, 
when suffering fills our lives, when we're crying out, how long, O Lord? The hope that God's word proclaims to you and to me that Jesus is returning, that there will be final judgment and an end to all evil, that everything will be made right, and that if you've repented and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be saved and enter his kingdom. That hope that God's word proclaims to us, those are not empty promises. God backs it up with his own signature. He signs off on it. These are real assurances from God himself. And so because God's word is from God, it not only functions to stir us up, right, as reminders, it not only functions to guide us and to give us hope, but it also functions to give us assurance and confidence in God and in his promises throughout this life. You are not, just hear this this morning, if you are a Christian, you are not a fool for staking your life on God's word. You are not a fool. You are anything but a fool if you are staking your life on God's word. So what do we do with fake news? What do we do with fake news? When you have the real news, when you trust your source, when you know that against all odds you can bank on the news that you're receiving, there's not much to do with fake news at all. Except write it off as fake news. Brothers and sisters, God's word is the truth. And he has given it that we might be reminded afresh of his powerful promises. He has given it to us as a light to give us guidance and hope. So my encouragement to us this morning as we close the sermon is let us take Peter's message to heart and be those who pay attention to God's word. Amen? Let's pray together.